Good morning, gang. Happy November 1st, 2019. It's All Saints Day, All Souls Weekend. It's the day after Halloween, and I'm sure there are a lot of people with running mascara and bad hangovers waking up today. Not Jason, though. No, no, I'm just having a low-key day, though. He, because you He's know. wearing a hat, though, today, gang, so I suspect something's up. He, something's fishy, man. You never trust people in hats, let me tell yeah, you. <laughs> I think he might have tied one on for Halloween. I don't know. He says he was hiding from suburban kids where he lives, but... Uh, Hey, I mean, those kids come at you and they want those candy bars and you don't got them. I mean, the best way to negate it is by throwing fruit at them. But even then, like, it's yeah, not Yeah, you risk having an apple coming back right at you. Exactly. <laughs> Happy day after Halloween, everybody. I had a great time on Santa Monica Boulevard last night. About 300,000 people at the world's largest carnival. And we crowned, uh, oh my God, now I'm forgetting her name. The woman from Transparent, trans woman from Transparent uh, was the uh, Halloween carnival queen last night. Uh, took the crown away from yours truly but it was a great halloween night but i have to confess i was in bed by 11 and i had to get up early to do the show with y'all so um here's what we got coming up today it's an all saints day all souls day so i picked some of my favorite saints and good souls to be on the show today we're going to start out with michael weinstein now michael is the one of the founders of the aids Healthcare foundation been around 32 years they are now the world's largest hiv organization serving over a million people in 43 countries around the globe. And Michael, I know him when he was just a street activist at, in ACT UP LA, out protesting in the streets, and he went on to become the chief executive officer of the largest AIDS organization in the world. And you know what? Over the 32 years, um, he, he and I have locked horns on occasion, tangled a bit, disagreed, but I have never doubted for a second his heart was always in the right place fighting for people with HIV and AIDS and the greater LGBT community. So I look forward to talking with him. He's going to call in from wherever in the world he is today. Um, Michael's first up. And then uh, we're going to go to Charlo Crossley. And if you don't know who Charlo Crossley is, you should, because she's one of the original harlots, used to tour with Bette Midler, uh, was uh, on Broadway. Broadway, Chicago, um, toured on Hairspray with Bruce Valanche. She's had a long time uh, love affair with the LGBT community, a great gospel singer, uh, many movies to her credit, and uh, just an extraordinary and talented person. And she is uh, going to be featured in the upcoming documentary on the history of Studio One and its uh, eventual closure, which is happening this month. So we thought we'd bring Charlo back from, you know, all the way to the 1970s, being one of the harlots with Bette Midler to uh, coming around for the final closing days of Studio One. Joining her will be Mark Saltarali, who is uh, the documentarian who's been putting together the history of Studio One, which precedes Studio 54 in New York, by the way. Uh, and he's been putting a documentary together with some of the original employees and bartenders and all those people who survived the plague and are still here to tell the story of what was once uh, one of the great gay discos of the 1970s. He'll be coming in with Charlo. And then after that, we decided to take full advantage of some of these original bartenders because we've got two of the original bartenders from Studio One Days 
because, you know, now they're both happily retired living in Palm Springs, but at one time they were the bells of the ball. Uh, Gary Mortimer, uh, the bartender who opened the back lot uh, at Studio One, and Michael Koth, who uh, was featured, he was one of the hot go-go boy, blonde boys with abs uh, working in gold lame shorts at the front red bar. At least that's where I first saw him. Oh, that's who it was. Okay, yeah. I was wondering that. Yeah. Okay, Jason, I first saw him in 1978. Wow. Yeah, so you were negative 20. What a time, man. You were negative 20. You weren't even around. Negative 20, yes. You were not even anywhere near the horizon. But the Sunday, I'm going to be 27. So, yay! Yes. yes, but still a millennial. I love that. Very true. Okay, happy birthday, Scorpio. Thank oh, you, you're sir. a Scorpio. No wonder we get along. <laughs> you're Scorpio. All right, so Michael and Gary will be coming in, and Robert Pazan, who uh, is uh, one of the big patrons of the nightlife, of LGBT life during that period, and he's been putting together memorabilia for the documentary documentary on uh, Studio One and its long history. And, um, and then we'll be uh, finishing out the show. It's Palm Springs Pride this weekend. Happy Pride out there in Palm Springs. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous weekend, not too hot. And Alexander Rodriguez is the Grand Marshal of Palm Springs Pride this weekend, and he's going to take a moment to dust off his tiara and come join us online and call in to tell us all that's going on out in Palm Springs Pride out there in the desert. So we're looking forward to a great and fantastic show today on All Saints Day, All Souls Day for all you good saints and not so good saints and all you good souls. Thanks for tuning in. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls by TLC, one of the first songs to mention HIV AIDS in the song. And uh, we have got, I told you it was going to be an All Saints so, uh, show today. We've got, I think, a modern saint. Uh, and I say that, Michael, because I adore you. Uh, Michael Weinstein from the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, John. Pleased to be on. Michael, I got. I was telling our guests, be, uh, our listeners, before you came on, that you and I go back... 30-some 30, 30 years uh, when er everything was just getting started, and AHF was originally the AIDS Hospice Foundation. And um, my God, you're, you're still standing, Michael. You've taken slings, <laughs> you've taken arrows, lawsuits, uh, po politics, uh, I don't know how many presidents, and you're still standing. Well, I think it speaks to the work we do. Uh, you know, whether people uh, like uh, me or not, or uh, uh, like everything that we stand for, you know, the reality is the work speaks for itself. 43 countries, 1.3 million patients, 17 states, 6,700 employees. You know, uh, we've built the largest uh, AIDS organization in the world, and now we're venturing into a bunch of other areas like housing. That, that's I mean, Now, look, going back to 87, it, I remember it was you, it was uh, the late Chris Brownlee, the late Paul Coleman. I mean, you, you guys were sitting around. And, and I think initially, uh, back then, 87, there wasn't much hope. I mean, I, I think the first time I saw you, you were on the streets with ACT UP LA. And, but hospice was something that you initially took on. Why start there? What, what was going on in 87? First of all, I have to say, Paul Coleman is very much alive. Oh, I thought he... Oh, God. Okay, sorry uh, I killed you, Paul. Okay. No, 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 no. Um, but, um, I mean, 
at that time, the average lifespan was 13 months. And people were dying in the hallways of the county hospital. I mean, and the least we could do was to give people a dignified death. That's basically all we could do at that time. And there were many other organizations that sprung up doing great work. Uh, but basically, uh, people had nowhere to go uh, to live out the last days of their lives. And so, you know, it was both an advocacy campaign to get you know funding and to get a licensing category, et cetera. You know, and then we got into the service provision at Barlow Hospital. Uh, next to Dodger Stadium. Um, that was really uh, the beginning of uh, uh, the growth of AHF. And back then, the Board of Supervisors, they, they didn't want to fund AHF. I mean, it was, I think you guys even went to one of the supervisors' homes and protested, or maybe his office. Uh, what was that Yeah, about? no, no, we, uh, we, we did go to Antonovich's, Mike Antonovich's home. Uh, he had said that the way to deal with AIDS was for gays to turn straight. So we got MCC uh, in their full clerical garb to be at the head of our march out uh, in Glendora. And uh, we marched to his uh, house and we uh, prayed for his soul on the lawn there. And, uh, you know, everyone was broadcasting live. Um, so that was a, uh, a huge uh, thing. But I, I want to go back just one step before that, because the actual beginning of the AHF movement started with Prop 64 in 1986. Mm, LaRouche. I mean, people may find this hard to believe, but there was an initiative on the ballot in California that stood a great chance of passing to quarantine people who were HIV positive. And, uh, you know, it was really, uh, you know, after we defeated that, we said, okay, well, we stopped something bad from happening, but we need to do something good to help uh, people. But, uh, yeah, I mean... uh, AHF started very much as a grassroots advocacy organization, and uh, even though it's a big institution today, it still uh, is very much uh, a grassroots activist organization, you know, uh, everywhere we go. You know, Michael, I, I, you and I haven't always agreed on tactic or strategy, but I've always known 100% that your heart and your soul were absolutely in the right place. And in many ways, I think you've been a visionary. Uh, I mean, when you changed AHF from hospice to healthcare in 1990, that was getting three steps ahead of the eight ball. But I, I mean, even in the, in the ballot initiatives that you sponsored in California and in Ohio, they were about trying to put a cap or a set on drug prices. I, I, I think that's way ahead of its time, and hopefully the American public's going to catch up with uh, with the, the what you're trying to implement. I mean, tell us a little bit about those initiatives and what they were about. Well, you know, first of all, I mean, um, I take a long view of things. Uh, I mean, uh, you and I and others have been fighting for clean needles uh, for more than 30 years, okay? Um, and, you know, whether it's ballot initiatives or, or press conferences or the like, you know, the common denominator is raising consciousness and, and through that, you know, uh, building a movement that can eventually accomplish these goals. So, you know, I, I don't measure, I mean, we've won initiatives, we've lost initiatives. I, I don't measure it that way in terms of, of the vote. I mean, I look at it that um, uh, drug prices uh, hurt too many people. And uh, it, it had to be the case that, that that would change. And whatever we could do to advance that conversation, uh, you know, and, and, you know, much like you see in the presidential race with Bernie, uh, you know, with Medicare for all and $15 minimum wage, uh, you know, even having run a losing campaign, he has restructured the whole agenda of the Democratic Party. And I think that AHF has been able to do that um, as well. And, you know, it's got to be a badge of honor when uh, these uh, special interests, uh, these greedy special interests, you know, spend 
$200 million uh, to, to defeat you. I mean, what have they really won? All they've shown is that, you know, uh, if, if you spend a huge amount of money telling lies, that you can get uh, people to vote against something. But it doesn't win in the end. Yeah, I think all they end up buying is just a little more time. But, I mean, ultimately, public opinion is catching up. Number one issue, I think, in the last presidential race, and probably in this one as well, health care and drug prices. So way, way ahead of the curve on both of those, Michael. I'm curious, the Rose Parade, AIDS Healthcare, has been in the Rose Parade, what, the past two or three or five years? No, this is this will be our seventh time. Oh, my God. Seven years in the Rose Parade. I think you're the only AIDS or LGBT-identified organization that's in the Rose Parade every year. Is that right? That's correct. And, you know, a few years ago, we actually had a giant wedding cake and married two men on the um, uh, top of it. Uh, and uh, the saying at the front of the was of the float was love is the best protection. And I got to tell you, it was interesting because, you know, we had the right wing calling for a boycott of the Rose Parade and putting pressure on on the tournament uh, committee. And they hung completely tough. I mean, they backed us 100 percent. And that was just, you know, a great moment. Uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, some people have asked, you know, why would we spend money on something like that? Well, you know, it's because 80 million people see it. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it's a way of, of uh, getting that message to people, particularly at a time when, when AIDS is not on the front page of the paper. And, uh, you know, uh, so, you know, it's been a great opportunity. One year we did a float to honor Ebola first responders because we had lost two doctors in our Africa program to, to Ebola. And, um, yeah, I mean, we, we try to bring relevant issues. I mean, now, last year we had something related to homelessness, and, and we're doing that again this year. Uh, so I think it's a very important, you know, again, consciousness raiser. You, you've tied the issue of housing to HIV, too, I think, in a really critical and necessary way, which I think is brilliant, actually, uh, trying to get uh, housing for people with HIV. But I think ha- housing for all people in urban areas who can't afford affordable housing. What, what was the connection you made around that? Well, first of all, you know, five or so years ago, I was seeing that more and more of our patients were homeless, and I was seeing that our employees were having to move further and further out of the city in order to find affordable housing and having to, you know, commute in. Um, but beyond that, you know, the moral outrage of AIDS in the 80s, you know, was what stirred me and, and friends of mine to action. Uh, it was just something, you know, how could this be happening in, uh, you know, one of the wealthiest places uh, in the world? that people who were suffering from AIDS were, were uh, being neglected to that degree. And to me, this is exactly the same. This is a moral outrage of the highest order uh, that uh, in the shadow of, of unbelievable wealth that we have people in such a desperate circumstance. I travel the world and I go to places where there are you know, informal settlements, there's people living in shacks. I have not been to one other place uh, across the globe, where you see what you see in Los Angeles, which is and San Francisco, you know, people uh, sleeping on the sidewalk. Yeah, it, it's heartbreaking. It, it it's heartbreaking, Michael. You, uh, I just want. I don't want to leave without touching on what you think is next in the upcoming years uh, for people with HIV and AIDS or the LGBT community. Because you're a visionary, and I'm going to take whatever you say as prophecy. So, what do you think is coming up for our people in the upcoming years? Well, I think when it comes to HIV, I mean, we're on the cusp of another big technological breakthrough. I mean, there will be uh, an implant 
that will deliver medication to people for a six-month period. So daily dosing will be a thing of the past. I think that's going to be tremendous uh, benefit. Uh, I think that um, we have the opportunity to close the gap uh, in terms of new infections, you know, not only here but around the world, but we have some more work to do. We need to kind of reinvent prevention and we also have to retain people in care. That's a major problem where people start in care and then they drop out and then we lose track of them. So we're working on that. Um, when it comes to the LGBT uh, community as a whole, I mean, I think that, you know, in the big cities where we have gayborhoods, we don't realize uh, enough. We live in a bubble. We don't get how bad the situation is for a young person growing up in, in the vast majority of places in middle America. Um, and um, and the psychological damage uh, that is done to them, um, which then can lead to mental you know, health issues and drug abuse. I think also we got work to do in terms of uh, the scourge of meth addiction and, and, and other drugs and, and how it's been normalized uh, and, and even how uh, people in uh, our community are profiting off of it, whether it's Grindr or other, uh, you know, uh, apps, et cetera. So, I mean, I think uh, those are tougher things when you're, you know, when you're fighting against the man, when you're fighting against, you know, uh, the bigots, you know, it's uh, it's sort of easy because it's like, okay, you know, we are all easily united behind that. But we got some work to do in our own community. And I think it's always tough to bring those issues up. You're a St. Michael and a visionary and a prophet. I, wa- I just want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day to come on and share your your thoughts with listeners all around the country. And uh, I hope you'll come back on the show again. I, I would love to have you on periodically because uh, you're really critical to our people and our movement. So, I'm so well, appreciative of you. So much. you. That's always- it's always a pleasure, and I love you as well. Take uh, care. Bye-bye. All right, Michael. Thank you. When we come back, we'll have Charlo Crossley coming on from Bette Midler and the Harlets to Modern Day here on Channel Q. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast
That is the voice of Charlo Crossley, and she's now in studio with me, with Mark Saltarelli. Hi, Charlo. Welcome. Hi. How are you? <laughs> My God, that's such a beautiful. We play that song all the time, don't we? All Jason? the wow. time. All the time. So, and it- actually, have you here I'm now here. in studio <laughs> to hear, see the woman live and in person? Powerful pipes. <laughs> Thank that's you. Amazing. Powerful pipes. I, yeah. I, I think so. Sometimes. <laughs> well, I've been a fan since uh, Bette Midler and the and the Harlettes, so Aww. it's such a pleasure to, to well, see you I'm here. Go- I'm so glad to be here with you. You know, we're uh, trying to preserve our... Our disco history. Our disco history, <laughs> you know, all of our um, all of our artists, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And I'm very proud to be here today. So you were one of, the, I think it was three Harlots, right? And you kind of, you were with <laughs> Bette sometimes, but not always with Bette. Is that right? Uh, I started out with her in uh, 1972-ish. But wow. I met her in 71 in New York when I first moved to New York. And she was playing the Continental Baths. And um, she was dating a friend of mine. And... Uh, she walked into the room and he said, my friend Michael, he says, my friend Michael Federal, he says, oh, uh, Charlotte, uh, this is Beth. And I was like, uh, yeah, hi. And I just kind of like turned away and I was like talking to other people. <laughs> and so that was, I was just kind of cash. And then I focused in on her and I realized that I had seen her on a Johnny Carson show sitting at a soda fountain wearing a chintz dress, a black leather jacket. Uh, Carmen Miranda pumps with fruit on the toe, big old <laughs> shock of red hair, and uh, having a um, having an ice cream sundae singing "Leader of the Pack." I said, "This is this something, is, this is, this is something to be explored, <laughs> definitely." I the the songs that you guys did back then, the harmonies were so uh, tight, so tight. They were. I, I'm I'm somewhat of a singer, not like you. I I like to sing in the shower mostly, but the harmonies were so tight, and the musicality was kind of this nineteen. 19- 40s, oh, yeah. like, you know, Boogie Woogie Bugle Absolutely. Boy, that kind of style. Well, when she uh, when she and I became friends, one of our things we would do, we would hang out at her house on Barrow Street and listen to, she had trunks of sheet music and stacks of 78s and, and LPs and, you know, her friends would bring stuff to her and so one day we would just sit there and and listen to music <laughs> and listen to the Boswell sisters. We oh. listened to them a lot and listened to a lot of... Uh, uh, the Andrews sisters, and so we were already in that 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 framework of 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 that music, and so of course we had the fabulous Barry Manilow who taught yes. us all of our parts, and you know uh, it was just great. When you just already in the headspace, and then you start picking out the notes and learning them, then you're in the groove. Yeah, and, and then it's <sighs> it's so much fun. It was so beautiful. You know, I'm funny you bring up you brought up the Continental Baths, Bed Mittler and Barry Manilow. So many people don't rem- or realize, especially yeah. a lot of younger millennials, yes. that. Bet got her start in the gay bathhouses with Barry Manilow did. on the piano. Absolutely, but she had come out of doing uh, Broadway musicals. She had been in Fiddler on the Roof and mm-hmm. been in other off-Broadway experimental theater um, company um, productions. And uh, Barry was the ultimate musical director, and you know he's such a great performer, but he's a great teacher. He, I mean, he, and. and, and it's so hard to put into words, but he really, really knows how to teach that, teach those parts, and get the right attitude. And it was just so great, you know. I, I and, when, and when I go see him, I'm I'm always so grateful for had to have that time mm-hmm. to sit at the piano with him and uh, you know I replaced Melissa Manchester. Melissa, if you're listening, hello, mummy. <laughs> and um, 
she taught me everything and so then I had to go and pass muster with him of course and so we sat down at the piano and he starts playing all this stuff and he says you know you know everything tip top he said the only thing you have to do is just cover her and I went what <laughs> what do you mean cover her? he said I just want you to cover her vocally and uh, everything will be great and that's what I did that's what Melissa did so hmm. you know you just kind of you kind of pull it in and the thing of it is when you end up singing background for so many years and then when it's your turn come hold the mic as a soloist <laughs> hooray you are gobsmacked you right. don't know what to do you right. have to like totally like go back and relearn everything mm. Mm. just to be a step out well that's so very... i've only been singing solo now for like the last 12 years well, that I know where I've been playing Motormouth Mabel. Um, Thank you. Just gorgeous. Thank you. So heartfelt and soulful. Well, you got to live it. Yeah. You that, know, you can't. I you think can't that's phone right. It in. You can't. <laughs> that's a very good point. <laughs> I, you know, and this is why I think a lot I'll of operator. <laughs> no, you can't phone it in. You know, and some people, God bless them. It's a it's a daunting song to. It's a very daunting song, to approach and Mark Shaman. God bless you, Mark Shaman, wherever you are in the world. Um, he really put his heart and soul into it, you know, to write this story, write this song, to express what was going on in that time. So when we were doing the play, the director would bring us back to square one all the time. He'd say, "This is 1962. This is not 2007. This is this was what was going on there. This didn't exist. This mm -hmm. wasn't in our culture. Mm -hmm. But this is what was." Mm -hmm. in our culture mm -hmm. and uh, every, so that's one of the things I love about Hairspray I love about telling that story and you know being the beacon of hope yes you, you know that, that is the clarion song it is in the clarion that song absolutely and working with Bruce Valance was that a trip you know I, I was just telling Mark I've known him since I'm 18 years old I met oh. him uh, at uh, Punchinello's in Chicago he was working for the Chicago Tribune and I was in the musical Hair yes I took off my clothes and <laughs> it was the 60s we all did <laughs> I was just I was straight out of high school you know it was like getting out of Chicago we, we always come back to that you know, that was that was my way out. Oh, that's awesome. Gang, we're going to take a commercial break. When we come back, talking mm -hmm. more to Charlo Crossley and Mark Saltarelli about the history of Disco Days and her, yes, we're start, here. And her solo career. Awesome. Thank Thanks you. for tuning in, gang. Channel Q. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Don't you make me cry. I'm going to morning. make you cry, Charlo oh Crossley. God. That's you singing. That's me. Roll me and, through the rushes. Uh, Ula Hedwig and Sharon Red, the mm -hmm. late, great Sharon Red. We dug that up for you. Oh, my God. <laughs> Don't make me cry. You know, we sang that song uh, in our show uh, at the back lot when we performed there uh, eight million years ago. <laughs> and, um, Mark and we, I were there. Mark Saltarelli yes, and I were there. And, you know, uh, that was a song that our friend David Lassley uh, wrote in Lana Murano they wrote and they were performing that in their act in New York and like I was telling you before all these different clubs that we performed in in New York uh, 
we all supported each other. We were a very tight knit community, so we took that song of theirs and and, and started performing it in our show, and it would just get a huge response. Mm-hmm. So we came on here and started singing, and people went crazy. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we that was on our album that we got signed uh, when we were at the back lot. That's mm-hmm. where we we got our. our could I do, I sent you that picture? Yeah. I sent you. A, didn't I send you a bunch of pictures the other day? You did. I so did. We had an amazing interview, Mark. You're yeah, you're, you're putting together a documentary about oh, it was yeah. Studio One in the '70s and yes. '80s, and how's that coming? Uh, it's magical. That's the only way I can describe it. Uh, we had our first uh, three or four days of filming last week, which you, of course, were a major. Part I had of. a cameo. Congrats <laughs> on that. Um, I. We interviewed like 20 plus people in, in the first two days, including Miss Charlo, um, talking about you know their memories. Um, it was an emotional ride, like I can't uh, describe, because we, we basically went through everyone's personal history, wherever they started from, where they started from uh, Gary Mortimer, who was the original uh, bartender. Wow. Um, to the 80s when everything got dark and it was like we were talking about it was like going through a war in, yeah. in some ways yeah absolutely. I, th- I think the most powerful example of that was um, a man named disco dan morin mm-hmm. i think you know him i do uh he was talking about you know how he when he was a dj he would play these songs and look out and see a sea of uh people dancing and having joy and whenever he hears that song or a particular song he realizes that all those people, so many of them, aren't with us anymore. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he, you know, he broke down. I broke. Everybody broke yeah, down. Yeah, and, and, and that's just one example of uh, the emotion that this film is going to have. And like we were saying, I think it's like we all are suffering from PTSD. Yeah. Very much. We went so. through that era. I agree. Um, mm-hmm. But now it's time to stop blocking it out. And bring the memories back up, like Michael Koth has, mm-hmm. and and be free. And um, well, Michael Koth and Gary Mortimer are actually coming on the show right after the top of the hour. We're going to take great. advantage, and this is, I guess, going to be a tribute to all of our era in the '70s and '80s at Studio One. You know, yeah. one of the, one of the things that I wanted to piggyback on is the fact that we didn't have the tools to deal with what was happening. In our midst. We were 20-something. Yeah, we were I, yeah. his age. His age. Yeah, <laughs> Justin Bullock and Jason Yasmin. We were your age you when know, all this um, epidemic hit. Actually, yeah. For me, I was in my um, late 20s, early 30s. Mm-hmm. And to spend all of the 80s uh, dealing with the death stuff and that dying. we Death and mm-hmm. dying. Yeah. And we just didn't have the tools and we were flying by the seat of our pants. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with, with whatever kind of prayer we knew how to pray right. to get us through, yep. you know, and just being a, I mean, it made us a week. We talked about this in the, in our, in our, in the film is that you really began to uh, confront your own life, your own world. What, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, and so many people came into sobriety. But you, you're talking about PTSD. It's like, so now, 27 30 years later we're we've got more tools to deal with our pain to process through to bring hope to help people just to live their lives better and be better human beings mm-hmm. i think at the end of the day 
that's yeah. what we want to be, you know? You know, back in that day, okay, so I t- tell people, before AIDS, my activism was limited to dancing on the bass speaker at Studio One. <laughs> that was me, right? I had my shirt off. I had a tambourine. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I had a tambourine. A tambourine. Oh, you were that person. I was that guy. I was <laughs> that guy. That? Look at me. Look at me. I'm up here looking cute with my tambourine. <laughs> but, you know, it was okay. But it was, uh, you know, it wasn't so much about being self absorbed. It was about having a good time, being a cheerleader, yeah. being like, you know, a pep rally kind of a person. Because people were coming to, to those dance palaces to escape mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's, I, I know that I did. You know, I mean, in, in New York for me, after doing a show, I would go to Studio 54. And it was so nice, I never had to pay. You know, it's nice knowing the doorman, knowing the knowing the bouncer. Right. And uh, to be able to go and, and, and just to totally escape whatever was hurting you and difficult or the, whatever yeah, the yeah. burden that you were carrying. It was a great place to... To let let off steam. Did you ever uh, experience the no open toed shoes yes, thing did. at Studio Honey, One? Please, tell child, us, please. tell us about it, because I can't imagine anyone keeping you out of anything. Oh, they did it to all. They were equal opportunity employer in that way. <laughs> they did not discriminate. Are they, I mean, what? So I lived in New York, so I would come out here when I was working with Bed, and then someone would always take me to the club. And uh, I remember I had, I had these really cute little corkies, honey, and this queen at the door said, <laughs> oh, no, you can't come in here with those shoes. And I was like, what are you, no open toe <laughs> shoes. They were like, it was just like mean and hateful. So it was okay. So the next time I went back, I had some little closed toes, you know, shoes, you know, um, dancing pumps. At the, you know, at the time, I was high. So, it, I, you know, I was, like, mad about it, but then I got over it. Yeah, yeah. But um, I just, I, I don't know what that was about. I think it was a safety thing. It might have been a safety issue. Glass did get broken. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was just to discriminate <laughs> against females. It, it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, I try to tell people, looking at it through 2019 eyes, it seems unimaginable. Mm-hmm. But back in the 70s, we were just starting to all get to know each other. I mean, gay men had their own little private space, and we worshipped black that. women. Black women, we could come to anywhere. That's why I was surprised they discriminated against Oh, you. no, they did. Yeah. They did. But then, uh, they so they would tell me, I didn't get turned away. Uh, so much as I was reprimanded for not having on proper shoes. So I was able to get it because I was with friends. I was with, you know, like three or four guys that, you know, were like, oh, no, please. And they, they, would, they just, would just push us in through the door. But you do feel you feel discriminated against. So that's part of the reason why I didn't I, I didn't go back. Mm. I, you know, I didn't. But I we, didn't frequent. I found other places to party. To party. <laughs> but we are all going back November 9th yes. for closing night of Studio One. We wow. will all be there. Mark Sotorelli, yes, you will be performing. I'll yes, be there officiating. Bruce Valanche hosting. Bruce yes, Valanche will be hosting. Oh, Bruce Valanche. One last dance at Studio One. <laughs> oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> Child, we have to cut our time. I want to thank you for thank coming you. on. It's so nice to see you. you and th- I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. It's going to be great. Thank <laughs> right. you so much. Gang, when we thank come you. back, we'll have Gary Mortimer, Michael Koth, Robert on some of the original players at Studio One. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great day. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Scott hated that song. <laughs> That's Morgan. Jump Shout by Lisa. <laughs> Talking about Studio One. Gang, we're, we're having a Studio One reunion here in station because I've got Robert Bazan, who I think I met in the bars back in the 80s. Welcome, yes. Robert. Hello. And Gary Mortimer, who was the first opening bartender at the back lot. Hello yes. there, yes. Chris Isaacson, who's Woo-hoo! a millennial and uh, actually now currently helping us put together our going away to Studio One. Mark Saltarelli doing Hello. the documentary. Documentary And online, Jason, is Michael Koth online? Michael, are you there? Ask him. I am there here. Hello, everyone. Hello, How are we Michael. doing? Michael. We're having a studio. Did you like that Lisa jump shout? Do you remember hearing that? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, while waiting, when I called in while waiting, I loved the, the old disco music that you were playing. It was terrific. Yes. Awesome. Uh, so uh, let's start with Gary. Gary, how did you become the first bartender at the Backlot? Actually, I was working at a place called Oliver's on La Cienega, and one of the owners, Scott Forbes, used to come in and watch me work. And he finally introduced himself, and he said, you know, I like your work as a bartender. I'm opening this gay club over near Robertson Boulevard. Like, I'd like you to come over and take a look at it. So I t- took a tour of the whole place, this huge, huge dance floor with bars in there, and then there was an area where they have a small bar and a stage for entertainers. And I told him, I said, I'll work for you, but I want the back lot. And he said, you got it. <laughs> and that's how that started. I was there about five years. Michael Koth, I tell people the story all the time of me seeing you in the gold lame shorts and the red bar <laughs> at the front yeah, of the house. Yeah, well, that's where I first laid eyes on you in 19, I don't want to say it. <laughs> 79, I think, 78. Jason, yeah. you were negative 20, I'm sure. Chris, I'm sure you were negative uh, uh, 15 uh-huh. at that point. <laughs> He's the baby. Michael, did you, I mean, there's so many urban myths about people having to audition for Scott Forbes in his office. Were you subject to that? Well, the interview process, yes. But I had come out to to California on a vacation and came into studio and talked to Scott then and had an interview a few months later when I actually moved here. Um, And so my experience with that was, you know, part of Scott's interview process was the third up, and uh, I, I uh, fought him on that, and so I was actually fired before I was hired, but I was ended up being hired the next day. Oh my God! Well, I'm glad he hired you and kept you. You because I think you were there from like '78 till '80 what '86? '76 to '84. So 76 nine years. '84 and Gary, you yeah. were there from when to when? Uh, this is 1974 for about five years. Wow! Well, I was there for opening night. Wow, that's amazing. Robert, I have to bring you in the conversation because I met you at, I think, either Newport Station or Studio One. One or the other, yes. One or the other. And uh, you're part of this big tribute to say goodbye to Studio One one last time, yeah? Yes. I I arrived there um, opening week, not opening day, but opening week. I was there at 19 years old. At 19 years old? Wow. Not you, had a, yet. you had a fake ID like I did. Oh, then. it said I was six foot two and two hundred and thirty pounds. Yeah, I, I was. I was Jose Gonzalez for many years. Was, this yeah. is ridiculous, John. Yeah, I know. I can this hear this construction it. that's going on downstairs is, wow. is ruining everything right now. Oh no! Can you all hear each other over the construction noise? Hey, hey, down there, quiet. Yes. I think he heard us. Okay, <laughs> that's right. I hope so. That is amazing. 
Uh, I remember, uh, Robert, you had a companion named Janice that was hanging out with you back then. Oh, yeah. Was that your girlfriend, wife? Oh, no, that's somebody else's wife. <laughs> oh! <laughs> that wasn't my wife. That was no. somebody else's. People I always re- asked if I was straight. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah. I had that for about five minutes, and that's it. Oh, wow. She was just a friend. Very, very. Most I mean, those are... have your female friends. I had mine, too, and they had to wear closed-toed shoes to get in, but they... That's <laughs> right, yes. They got, okay, they got it. <laughs> Gang, we're going to take a commercial break to see what we can do about the construction noise going on downstairs. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Abba, the visitors. Michael, I'm pay- playing that song for you, baby. <laughs> the visitors, yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Gang, we're having a Studio One reunion here at uh, Channel Q today. i got Michael Koth calling in from Palm Springs. Gary Mortimer here in studio, two of the original bartenders. Robert Bazan and I, two of the original bar flies, hanging on the end of the bar. <laughs> and Mark Saltarelli and Chris Isaacson, who are helping produce the documentary and the Going Away Party November the 9th. I, I guess, you know, we, there's no story about Studio One's going to be complete without us touching upon um, our friends that we we yeah. lost along yeah. the way. Michael, you, yeah. you've talked about a photograph that you have. Tell, tell our listeners about that. Okay. Well, I have a photograph. Uh, it was a staff picture when there were 105 of us in the photograph at the time, and I shared when we were filming that there are two of us left alive. Oh, um, my goodness. So they were, all, and they were all friends, and that pretty much happened twice over in my experience in my tenure at studio. Yeah, I know. G- uh, Gary, uh, how many friends do you think you lost? Uh, maybe half a dozen friends. But my, my ex-lover, he, he died of pancreatic cancer. It wasn't AIDS, but he used to be a, a regular there at Studio One, so that's very important for mm-hmm. me, too. Mm-hmm. Robert, I don't even want to calculate us. Cause, uh, I stopped counting at 174, but it went well, well over 200 friends died. Wow, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's really... Uh, Mark, I know it's part of your story, too. Right? Yeah, I lost a lot of friends. Uh, that picture I just showed you from 1988, a, a friend of mine uh, took it, and he's no longer with us. Mm. It's funny, that's the only surviving picture I have from that whole era, Yeah, going to the back lot. Well, I'll say well, this. I'm so glad there were no iPhones around when I... <laughs> <laughs> I was at Studio One because exactly. yeah. I might not be holding public office. Then again, doesn't seem to stop me now anyway. But I mean, <laughs> oh, those were good times. I, I try to tell the millennials. Okay, Jason, what's Millen- up? Millennial, pull up a chair. I'm here. I'm ready. <laughs> I try to tell the millennials that there was a time when these places were secret gathering places. Like they were hidden and there were no windows and no signs. And you had to like crawl into the secret society where you found your tribe. Finally found your tribe. Uh, Gary, your your experience too being there? That was really something. When I was a bartender at, at Oliver's, we used to be up and down Santa Monica Boulevard. And you literally could not see in the bars. Wow. But once you went inside to see what was going on, you thought, wow, this is really something. Yeah, I know. 
Here co- that's a you know what we were just saying that earlier uh, <laughs> during the commercial break. We were just saying, you know, watch, they're going to come back. We're, they're going to start constructing while we're talking, and sure enough, there, here they are. There they are. Okay. <laughs> it yes. might be Scott Forbes making himself. Yes, exactly. Scott Forbes is calling from the <laughs> other realm. But even <laughs> Studio One, going in there in the back lot, the, you couldn't see in because the windows were all blackened out. Right. Right. Back yep. in those days, the back lot didn't yep. have any window. Today, no, they it's didn't. all uh, look at the Abbey. The Abbey's like an outdoor patio. Yeah. I mean. I mean, you know, I was waiting in that line going down the pier, just hoping nobody was going to throw a bottle or a rock at me you know, the <laughs> time I was standing out there. Because it happened from time to time, yeah. you know, carloads of people. Yes, it by. did. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, 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 I got to say, the um, what was important to me is that gathering of gay men in the 70s and early 80s that were at Studio One became the foundation for what would come next. I mean, the whole yeah. AIDS I movement, the there. HIV yeah. movement, the creation of AIDS Project Los Angeles, creation of the gay or the expansion of the gay and lesbian center, all the AIDS organizations, the propositions we'd have to fight. It all started because we knew each other from dancing as a tribe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And John, if I may in- interject in this, too, you had mentioned and, and always had brought up the idea of gay marriage came out of this foundation as well. And from my side of it, since I went into health and wellness, um, all of the early funding was private sector funding. And we did that grassroots at places like Studio One, where, where we would have funding to fund the research of, of what AIDS was becoming. And it was very difficult to keep up with it at that time. But that was on the back of the community. The LGBT community really founded that. And if you look at current understanding of the body and the function and what they've done in prevention along the way, it doesn't just impact HIV and AIDS. There's been so many other facets that have come out of this original research that I want to bring voice to that because I think it's vital that the community took charge because it was impacting us so greatly. And we get, what we did in the face of this was give back to the overall community with everything we had. Yeah. So that's really important for those those younger that maybe didn't live in this era to understand how this happened. And we did it without Facebook, Twitter, yeah. <laughs> social yeah, media, true, yeah. internet, Wikipedia. We, we yeah. did it with flyers. Word of mouth, telephone, <laughs> Word of mouth, you know, yeah. and, and camaraderie. Yeah, Robert? Uh, Scott Forbes and I went on the very first AIDS walk together. We wow. made Paramount Studios. None of our other friends showed up. just us wow. our other friends, you know. Wow. Mm. Scott wow. Forbes. Now, Scott Forbes, of course, was the owner, creator of Studio One. And he was kind of like that woman at the Winchester house. He just kept <laughs> building. Like, <laughs> Yeah, That's yes. why we're hearing construction. It's oh my be. God! It's be. The ghost of Scott Forbes. Halloween is not left yeah. yet. <laughs> but he was always like redoing the decor, adding more of this, adding more of that. Like Studio One was never completely done, uh, and yeah. then we, sadly yeah. we lost him. Yeah, we lost him. Michael, you know, uh, I, I guess I'd ask all of you because you all knew Scott Forbes. I mean, there's been criticism about Scott Forbes being racist, being sexist, uh, excluding women, people of color. You guys are all. All eyewitnesses to that. What what would you say in response? He wasn't well for, for me. It, it, I I don't I don't see him as being as being prejudiced in these ways. He had an idea and a focus of how he wanted his business to run, and I would say he's very stringent in those ways. Um, but some of the what was left in the wake could be interpreted as that. What people may not know is there were people of color that were private owners. There were three outside 
owners right. and two of the three were people of color. You know, so the foundation of the whole of the whole place in and of itself was built on integration. And so in a personal way, I, I think the way it ran may have got that. He made some choices along the way, like exclusion of open toed shoes and you know, that stimulated from a lawsuit that actually had originally occurred. Robert, you say he wasn't. Why, why did you say that? I don't think he was, no, because of Ernie Carruthers and people like that. Um, Ernie Carruthers is one of the African-American yeah. co-owners. Of yes, Studio he was. One. He was yeah. trying, I think he was just trying to keep like straight people from taking over the club, because when these clubs got popular, all of a sudden all the straights would come, and they would just kind of move out the group, and he just wanted mm-hmm. to keep it as gay as he could. Well, I think part of it was the way that the back lot f- overflowed into Studio One. Like, the back lot was <laughs> ho- Hollywood's, yeah. Hollywood's playground, primarily, <laughs> yep. you know? But with a gay sensitivity, Studio One was the shirtless, sweaty Marlboro men bouncing up and down, uh, <laughs> and me in the middle of it, loving every bump. You, know? <laughs> you paint a very vivid yeah. picture there. Yes, very thank you very much. Loving yes. every bump in more ways than one. But I'm bunch. I'll be here all week. <laughs> anyway, anyway, those were very different times. Um, you know, I, I know uh, we have a going away that's coming up November 9th. November yes. 9th. Now, Chris, tell yes. us yeah. about tell us what's going on. Well, Saturday, November 9th. Excuse me. Saturday, November 9th. We're having uh, two celebrations at the factory. Uh, the Back to the Back Lot celebration will start at 7 o'clock. And then we'll have a Studio One celebration that starts at 10 p.m. I'll be there with bells on. Bells Me on. too. Yeah, Michael will be there. Gary will be there. We'll all be there. Robert yes, I'll be, be singing. Charlo, who just left us, she's going to be there. Bruce Valanche will be hosting. Um, yeah. Madam, the original Madam, will be making oh, a comeback. Madam. Oh, my God. Okay. I think you talked to her a lot. Madam and I Another were millennial really close. moment. Do you know who Madam is, Jason? Oh, no, no, you don't know. Oh. Okay. <laughs> there was this little puppet that was like this old lady that Hand had puppet. the most vulgar, filthy mouth you could imagine. That would talk to the gays and straights oh, at the back lot. And she had a television show for a while. They had to make oh. her sort of PG yes. and made her the yeah. madam. Yeah, yeah. But she was also a regular on Hollywood on Hollywood, Hollywood Squares. Squares. That's yes. right. Yeah. She had quite yeah. an opening line introducing herself. <laughs> but the puppeteer Waylon Flowers is somebody we lost in the epidemic, but somebody's bringing her back and giving her voice. Absolutely. Uh, Marlena Schell, who was uh, Waylon's road manager. Uh, is the caretaker of the eight Madam Puppets uh, that have been refurbished, and she has a new operator, and uh, apparently sounds just like Waylon. Oh my God! Is wow. is crazy Mary? Fantastic. Crazy Mary. She has all back? of the puppets. Oh, yeah, I, I'm not sure if Chris showed. Crazy Mary probably favorite. should not come back because <laughs> that really made me double down on being gay. I'll tell you. Right <laughs> all right, uh, Jason's like, what are you talking about? Crazy? I won't even tell you. I'll tell you during the commercial break because we don't want to violate any FEC rules. We're going to commercial break. When we come back, uh, we'll continue our Studio One reunion and then head to Palm Springs Pride. We're talking to the Grand. Marshall, thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. Welcome back, gang. We're still having our Studio One reunion here. We've got Michael Koth and Gary Mortimer, two of the original bartenders. Um, Gary in studio, Michael out in the desert. Hello, hello. <laughs> hey, back. Michael. And Robert Bazan, Mark Seltorelli, and Chris Isaacson in studio as well. Guys, we were talking about some of the... Uh, we were trying to educate Jason during the break about who Waylon Flowers and Madam were. <laughs> but there were so many other celebrities that would show up there. Joan Rivers did the first AIDS benefit, right? 
she did, and yeah. she got death threats. I mean, it was a time when nobody would go near gay people for fear they would catch it. And she bravely went forward. Um, part of our documentary, Melissa Rivers, was thrilled to uh, share her story of, of that time. Um, you know, everyone thinks that Elizabeth Taylor was the first, but Joan was a couple of years before her. Um, you know who claims to be the first is Mamie Van Doren, a friend of mine. She claims to be the first one. Really? Well, we're going to get her on film as well. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're all great. Mamie Van Doren, Joan Rivers, they're all great. They were yes, all divas who stepped up. But, I mean, who yeah. else did you see in the back lot, Gary? I, I used oh, to see Richard works. Deacon from the Mary Tyler Moore yes, show. Yes, Richard Deacon. <laughs> I saw him other places, too. <laughs> okay, let's keep 8709 Melrose out of this. <laughs> the, one of the biggest times I think was when Cheetah, uh, Liza Minnelli and her dad Vincent bought out the room for Cheetah Rivera's first appearance there. And I think Cheetah put the place on the map. There was every celebrity in Hollywood was there, and that was really a magical night mm-hmm. to and be there. She performed uh, songs from Chicago for the first time she did. ever or on the West Coast. We're still trying to figure that out. Wow. That, wow. That's some really cool. And this is kind of, I think, historically, anyway, the merging of, or maybe the opening of Hollywood and yeah. LGBT worlds like coexisting in the same place. Because I don't think that happened in Studio 54 or anywhere else, like mm-hmm. Castro. Studio One was yeah. a gay club. Studio Fifty Four was not. Good point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. And and the back lot was kind of this hybrid. Yes, it was gay oriented, but it also had a lot of straight people who were there to let their hair down, right. or people that were closeted and gay. Well, after Cheetah did her three weeks, um, literally everybody who wanted to either perform or sponsor Betty Davis sponsored uh, Geraldine Pay. Geraldine, Geraldine Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, the list goes on. You know, uh, Linda Hopkins, Blaney Kassan, Bernadette Peters. Yes, Bernadette yeah, Peters. There. <laughs> Sam Harris. Groucho Marx uh, was in the audience one night. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. yeah Nancy cool. Reagan, even. Nancy Reagan, Reagan even. Nancy that's Reagan. Pretty. Lucille Ball, Tab Hunter, Robert Rock, Wagner, Natalie Rock Wood. Hudson. You know, Alan Carson, Marty Croft. People, I like people like that were daily. Yes, that's so amazing. And you guys are eyewitnesses to all this Hollywood overlapping into LGBT world. But in many ways, yeah. these relationships, I mean, like we just saw with Joan Rivers doing the fir- or Mimi Van Doren doing the first AIDS fundraiser, it's because they were patrons in the back lot. That, that, yeah. Those relationships were forged to even be able to do all that work that would be yeah. required. Yeah. I, I, you know, I try to tell, I, I shouldn't, st- I'm not going to harp on millennials. I'm sorry, Jason. I love millennials. <laughs> I, I, I love millennials. Please. <laughs> but, what have you got to say, John? No, I'm not going to. <laughs> you know, because I'm starting to sound like my dad. I'm really, I don't, I don't want to do that, you know, back when, <laughs> back, I, in my when day. back when I would walk through the snow of cocaine, you know, knee deep <laughs> in Studio One. Yeah, I don't, Those I were the good old days. I, huh? I don't want to do that. I'll just say that it was a magical time that I have a great deal of nostalgia for. Yeah. A great yeah, deal it really was word. very much so. beautifully put. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, I you know what I, I'm going to say on uh, Mark's documentary, if I haven't said already, in my mind, this was the greatest generation of LGBT people, the people who came to being in the 70s and 80s that were then given, okay, now you're no longer criminals, and by the way, here's a plague, and the military won't take you, and you can't get married, and uh, all these other issues, and. Go. <laughs> and yeah. we were all like 20 something going, 
What? <laughs> I, I just want to party. I, I don't want it. Yeah, and it's suddenly crazy. we're walking in AIDS walks, we're peddling in AIDS rides, mm-hmm. and you know, and we kind of created a culture yeah. of activism that served us well now for 50 years. Yeah, and Studio One was ground Absolutely zero for done. all of that. Bravo. Yeah, and Studio One was ground zero for all of that. So very uh-huh. true. Mark, this documentary you're doing, you need 501c3 tax deductible contributions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we are with the Film Collaborative. Uh, if you want to go to tfc.org uh, and uh, look on the film section for our fiscal sponsorship film Studio One Forever. Uh, you can click the link and make a donation. So far it's my brother and me who are uh, funding this. So we, we need some help. We're going to have a huge bill for all of the music licensing that's going to be uh, outrageous. Uh, we do still have, Chris, you want to talk about tickets available? Oh yeah. yeah, so for the event coming up on November 9th, we still have tickets available for the Studio One Dance Party, which starts at 10 p.m. Uh, arrivals start at 9.30, so you can get those tickets at TicketWeb.com. You can also look at my website for more information. If you can't find the link, it's Mark Saltarelli, Mark with a C. You figure it out. You know, if you put that picture of you from 1984 on the website, your contributions <laughs> would definitely go up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't quite look like that. I was 138 pounds then, but there were reasons why I was. Mm. Yeah, oh, and we'll go save, into that. We'll save that for the next show. <laughs> yes, I think, you know, one of the things, I, I'll just share my own personal story. Having to go through all that, I ended up in a real battle with alcoholism, drug addiction, sex, and everything else. But I've been working through it. Hmm. And now I'm 60, 48 on Grinder, 60, <laughs> 60 in actual real life. Uh, but looking back at all this with great nostalgia and fondness, and you know, at this kind of made us all who we are today. Absolutely. Yeah. It did. Made us who yeah. we are. And so uh, we're going to be releasing the spirits, right? Yes, we are. Yes. When uh, yeah. the developer um, came to me about doing all this, I, I told him, okay, but you know, besides all these conditions, here's one more I'm going to put on the table. We need to have a releasing of the spirits that occur on the last night. And he's like laughing. He goes, ha, ha, ha. I said, oh, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I said, you don't understand. This is a place that for thousands of gay men was the place they were the happiest Yes. And if yeah. their spirits are still in this realm hanging on, right. you know, we need to release them completely to move to the next yeah. realm. Uh, for a film, we uh, the last uh, scene of the film is going to be at sunrise. We don't have the day set yet. And so we're asking as many people who have somebody who they lost during that time that they would like to honor. Uh, to show up, you can go to my website and find out the exact date and time. It's going to be very early in the morning, uh, 7.30, probably Veterans Day, but stay tuned for that. Mm. Oh, that's fantastic, Mark. Yeah, that's awesome. Guys, we're about done with this portion of the show, so I will see you all November 9th at Studio One for one last dance. Yes. Robert Bazan, thank you. Yes. Good to see you again. Gary Mortimer and Michael Coe, thank you both for being here. Chris Isaacson, thank you for being so fabulous and spectacular millennial taking over. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark Saltarelli. And of course, my brilliant producer, thank Jason Yazin, millennial, who puts up with me every week. Thank you for that. <laughs> Gang, when we come back, we'll be talking to Mr. Palm Springs Grand Marshal Alexander Rodriguez. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. That's the song Palm Springs by the Aeronautics, and it is Palm Springs Pride Weekend, and we are so graced to have the Grand Marshal of the Parade and Festival online with us, Alexander Rodriguez. Welcome, Alexander. So I'm literally talking to you on Arenas Road. They're building the stage right now. 
for Pride. It's going to be huge this year. Do you know that Pump Springs is voted the fifth best Pride in the world? I did not know that. That's just probably on the natural scenic beauty of nothing else. It's so gorgeous out there. Well, there's some pretty, and then there's not so pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, our LGBT people, I think, are always pretty, but okay, you're right. There you go. We are all inclusive. I'm a pretty girl. We are all inclusive. But maybe not the day after Halloween. Maybe not so much. (laughs) No, and I was uh, an MC on their Halloween on Arenas Road. That was crazy. It was like West Hollywood light. (laughs) I love that. Well, thank you for that. Alexander, congratulations on being the Grand Marshal. Well-deserved. I'm so happy for you. Thank you so much. You know, now I have to be careful when I go to Toolshed. I have to watch my manners. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Let, let just say, yes, I, I don't get to have any antics in West Hollywood. I can only travel out of town to look for antics. So, <laughs> Well, there you go. <laughs> and I happen to be more popular out here on Scruff than I am in, in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think I read in your bio, you're, you identify as a bear. Is that, Yeah. No, 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 no. So I identify by not identifying. You know, we're so into labels nowadays. Yeah, we kind of have to because in our social and political climate. But I'm gay, but I'm not at the gym all the time. I'm a little curvy, but, you know, I'm a bear, but I'm not at the leather parties. I'm Latino, but I can't even order at Del Taco. Like, <laughs> I, you can't put me in a box. <laughs> well, I love that. that. That's very, very cool, actually, that you're not able to be put in a box. But I know you're very talented. You've got a great voice. Yeah, I know you oh, were it's perf- a little high-pitched. <laughs> no, you, you're a great singer. You, you, I know you did uh, your Good Man Charlie Brown on the Sunset Strip for a while. I think you did. Yeah, we did that for a whole year. Wow, and you played Charlie Brown. <laughs> I did. This was before, like, multicultural casting was a thing. So I worked out on stage, and people were like, what? what he's, he's, Mex- like, yeah. he's Mexican. It should be Carlitos Brown. <laughs> I put the brown in Charlie Brown. That's what I have to say. <laughs> I, I love that. And you've got your own radio show. You're, you're doing your own radio show. Is it out there on the rocks with Alexander? Yes, it's on the rocks with Alexander. It's an entertainment talk show on iHeartRadio. We're on Here TV. Uh, we film it so you can see us. We literally just drink with celebrities and celebrities of every kind. And we just talk about uh, entertainment. Well, oh, my God. I mean, how, what a tough life you lead. Yeah, getting to drink with celebrities <laughs> for a living. <laughs> That's rough. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's rough, babe. I love that. So what is going on Palm Springs Week? And tell us a little bit about the Pride Weekend. What, what have they got planned or in store for people? You know, they've really pulled out all the stops this year. The headliners are uh, TLC, Christine W., Betty, uh, Heather Smalls. I mean, it's, it's just huge. And I, you know, I do prides all throughout the U.S. This is my favorite pride because it is inclusive. You know, you see old, young, you see families, you see gay, straight, you see every kind of person rubbing elbows and hugging every other person. It is one of my favorite prides. That, that sounds really wonderful. I know that Palm Springs, you know, WeHo, of course, we identify as like one of the gay meccas around the country. But I got to say, Palm Springs is in there, too, with an all-LGBT city council and uh, 40% of the population living there identifying as LGBT. That puts them right in alignment with WeHo. I think it's incredible. It is incredible. You know, this community has thrived. I've been coming to Palm Springs every summer uh, since I was in third grade. My grandma owned a boutique hotel on Arenas Road on the other side of Arenas. And when she owned it, they had classic stars from Hollywood come. In fact, little Ricky of, you know, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, he took his first steps at her hotel. And she was just part of the culture. She was a stylist for uh, Dolores Hope and Jaja Gabor. 
Um, and so Palm Springs is in my blood, and it's so exciting to see this community thrive. Oh, that's awesome. Now, is there a parade? I assume there's a parade Sunday, yeah? Girl, there's a parade. I have my crown. I have my sash. We're going to get a little sashy. <laughs> <laughs> Do it now. Let, take it, because I've been in about 40 parades here in L.A. I just never the hand, never above the crown. On the hand oh, wave. Okay. Well, that's good never to know. above the crown. Yeah. See, I thought it was going to elongate my face if I put my hand up real high. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Does the parade happen down Palm Springs Canyon Road or Arenas, or where does the parade happen? Yeah, so it's on Palm Canyon Drive, which is the main strip. When you come into town, you have to drive on the street. And it's a, it's a really short, fun parade. It's about a mile and a half. And you're going to see everybody from the city. Uh, Judy Tenuta is in the parade. You're going to see organizations, Gay Straight and beyond um and it's you know it's just it's a really fun parade uh my very first uh palm springs parade was five years ago when i was with the west hollywood cheerleaders and i'm marching down the parade and you know i'd never really done anything like that and i look to the side and there's my grandma and my mom they you know they surprised me by showing up at the parade and there was first visit tears and it was very special and there was miho and drag Wow. Yeah. And I was actually wearing my grandma's jewelry, by the way. <laughs> I hope she thought it looked good on you. I hope. She did. She gave me a few pointers, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Now, are you going to be entertaining on the main stage or anything like that? Yes. So uh, I'm uh, introducing the headliners, and I'll be doing some audience participation. That's kind of my specialty. And I'll be uh, talking about some of the sponsors, and you're going to see me on the mic. And I have to tell you, last night I was on stage, and people said, oh, I love your Ross Matthews costume. Bitch, I didn't dress up last night. (laughs) (laughs) No insult meant to Ross Matthews. We love her. (laughs) Yes, and she will be here in in full full glitter, I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, that is so cool. I read on your bio, too, I I got to go and be a guest on the Latinx uh, television show, too. This is amazing watching Latino, Latina, Latinx, LGBT community kind of taking its place on the main stage. I'm so sorry. A truck drove by, so... (laughs) (laughs) No problem. I'm just talking about the uh, emerging LGBT Latino Latina community and how how we're kind of occupying center stage these days. Yes, yes. You know, uh, we'll be coming diverse. And that's great to see. Yeah. We are running out of time, and we've got to go to the top of the hour. But, Alexander Rodriguez, congratulations on being the Grand Marshal, and congratulations on your shows and uh, your continuing success. We're all so happy for you here in WeHo and here in greater Los Angeles. Well, and thank you, John. And, John, I have to thank you for all you do for the West Hollywood community as well. Oh, my pleasure, Alexander. All right, give Jeff Coors and Lisa Middleton a big hug out there in Palm Springs from me. I sure will. All right. Gang, that's it for our weekly show. We'll be back next week, next Friday, with more chaos and confusion and fun here on Sidebar with John Duran.